All right, friends. I love praying together, knowing that God hears us. Everything that was just communicated to him and in grace and in thankfulness and in petition to help us in our relationships was heard. And we believe that God who hears is also the God who's active with us. And so thanks for praying together. We're going to continue our series on, on flourish, that we want to see our relationships flourish, that God has made us from relationship, that we were created in the image of God from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternally delighting in community. So we're made from relationship for relationship. We're made for God and for being in relationship with one another. And relationships hold some of our greatest joys, and they also contain some of our deepest heartaches. And so if we can, if we have any persuasion over our relationships, we want them to flourish, be life-giving. And so last week we were talking about marriage as it pertains to family, and as the marriage goes, so goes the family. And today we want to continue that thread of family by looking at a, a unique relationship between parents and children. Not everyone in this room is a parent, but everyone is a child. Everybody has parents. Everyone in this room has a mom and a dad that came together, and you are their offspring. And then everyone in this room has a story that goes with that. And some stories are really, really wonderful, and we love to tell those stories about the family that we belong to. And other have really, really painful stories, and we actually don't want to think about those stories or talk about those stories because of what they have meant to us in our life. Now, when it comes to the topic of parenting, man, parents, parenting is an easy punchline. I mean, you can make a lot of jokes about parenting. In fact, one of my favorite commercials right now makes fun of parenting. It's the progressive commercials. It says, we can't help you from becoming like your parents, but we can help you with, you know, car insurance. And so they, they show these young homeowners that are becoming and with these habits like their parents, like their dads and like their moms. And it happens to me too. Katyn, who is my oldest, she and I were going down to Ball Arena to watch the Avs play, and we got there really early, so maybe we could get some early access, see the players warm up, have a great night. And we got there so early that really there wasn't very many people in the parking lot. And I parked near the exit, so you can just hop back on Spear. And Katyn says, Dad, there are so many other parking spots close to the building. Why are we parked this far away? And I said, well, when we leave... <laughs> There's going to be traffic everywhere, and we can just hop out the exit and be on Spear and be home sooner. And she's like, Dad, you are a progressive commercial. <laughs> like, yes, I am a progressive commercial. But here's the thing. At the end of the game, yeah, we got out, and she is going to become a progressive commercial. <laughs> but parents can become a punchline. And you know what the punchline is essentially is it would be bad if you became like your parents. Like if you become like your parents... That actually ruins your flourishing. You should not become like your parents, is an idea. And then with, with kids, there's also punchlines with kids. Kids ruin your life. Like they will kill your flourishing. And so if you're ever even going to think about having kids, wait as long as possible, especially if you get married, spend as many years as possible before you start having kids, because as soon as you start having kids, it's over. And then there's a growing trend. This was an interesting article from the BBC. A growing trend over the last few years on social platforms like TikTok and Instagram about the, the hashtag child free. It's not those who can't have kids that want kids or aren't able to have kids 
because of medical or health reasons. It's people that look at having kids and want to go, oh, that makes me sick. I have friends that are parents, and they tell me, oh, they've been up till 2 a.m. with their kids throwing up. They got barely any sleep. Who would want that? Kids always get in the way of the schedule that I would like. There are, there's travel that I want to do. There's my yoga class. And so kids ruin everything. And so in our minds, we start having this conversation about kids in this way. Okay, we had kids 18 years, and then they're gone. And I what? Get my life back. Or even kids, I know I'm going to graduate in three more years, and then I'm gone. I've shed my parents, and I'm going to finally get my life that I've wanted. Is this hitting home? And so there's this cultural lie that's out there. There's a cultural lie that goes like this. Parents and children are an obstacle to each other's flourishing. Parents are an obstacle to children's flourishing. They just get in the way. Can't help you from becoming your parents. And if you do, man, stinks for you. And kids are an obstacle to the life that you could have or should have. And so make sure you don't have them in your life. And the Bible tells a very different story about parents and kids. It tells the story of children being a blessing to their parents and for parents to be a blessing to their children. Now, I know that's not everyone's lived reality, but we want to look at what does is, what is God's word say about parents and children? Just build a framework around it. So, like, this is the ideal, this is what we're called to, and then we take our imperfect, flawed lives that's what we are, a bunch of imperfect, flawed people. Every parent in here is flawed. Every child is flawed. And we say, okay, let's, let's bring this into alignment and say, Lord, what's our next step in following the ways in which you have created us? If you're the one that made us from relationship for relationship, we want you to teach us how to do this relationship well. And what the Bible is going to show us, actually, is that this relationship isn't just for us as parents and children. But if we get this relationship right, it's actually for human flourishing. It's that our communities would flourish with families like this. So you interested? All right, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. We've been looking at two books, Colossians and Ephesians, both written by the Apostle Paul. And what he says in brevity in one place, he expands on it in another. And they, they somewhat complement each other as he's talking about how we are to live out in these relationships. And so Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, we're going to look at four verses in Ephesians today, simply says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Jesus, again, is our model here. When we come to Ephesians, we have not left the model of Jesus. Jesus, in, in a position of authority, shows us how to love as he loves his church. And so just as a flashback to last week, this is the illustration we gave, that Jesus loves, and his love, he goes low. He submits himself to the needs of his church, and by loving his church this way, he gives himself up on the cross, he then causes his church to flourish. And so what we're going to see is that children follow that same model that we looked at last week with husbands and wives, that children consider the needs in the way that we honor our parents, 
that they would flourish, and we're going to see communities flourish. And then we're going to see that parents also follow Christ-likeness in going low to support their children and their needs, that they would flourish. Let's begin with the children piece. It says, children, obey your parents. Every parent in the room is like, yeah, that's what we want. We just want obedience, which is true. But we don't want blind obedience to us. We want obedience to the Lord. So he says, obey your parents in the Lord. Sorry, I'm fighting the end of something. So I might have to take a couple sips of water. He says, obey your parents in the Lord. The vision for children is not simply their parents. They're to follow their parents' instructions. Parents can abuse this and cause their children to do things that are wrong. This isn't a call for children to follow their parents into things that are wrong. <coughs> this is a call for children to say, Lord, you are the object in which I'm following. Because you have called this right, I want to follow your ways and your instructions. And so children are following what is right unto the Lord. And so how they do that, that's modified here by honor your father and mother. This is the attitude. The action is obedience. The attitude is honor your mother and your father. And what you have here is obey. What does that obedience look like? Well, the attitude is to honor your mother and father. What is honor? Is to value and respect them. I apologize. Shouldn't have come to work today. (laughs) Just kidding. I got hit last Monday. Someone in here gave me something. I was better by Thursday. All right. And so what children are to learn is not necessarily for the parents' benefit. Like There's a lot of parents that say, we want our kids to honor us. It's not for our benefit. It's actually for the child's and for a promise that is there. And it's rooted here. It says, this is the first commandment with a promise. Speaking of the Ten Commandments, there were Ten Commandments that God gave to shape a community of people that were going to flourish. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Actually, we're going to go to chapter 5 first, and then we'll get to chapter 6. Chapter 5 has the Ten Commandments And what's striking that honor your mother and father is the first commandment with a promise because it's not the first commandment given. There's four commandments that are in relationship to your to your your relationship with God. They're vertical commandments. Those are the first four. And then there are six more given. There are horizontal commandments in your relationship to others. Does anybody know what the first commandment is? No other gods. I'm the only God. You don't get another God. There's only one God, and I'm it. So do, you have no other gods before me. Does anybody know what the second commandment is? Don't make any images. Don't fashion any sort of ideas or idols and bow down to them. Does anybody know what the third commandment is? Don't take my name in vain. Vain is empty. Don't, don't use my name in, a, in an empty way. Maybe it's a swear word. But don't even take my name in your life and call yourself a follower of God in an empty, vain way. So the, you know, the first one, no gods. Don't make anything that looks like me. Don't use my name wrong. And the fourth one is I got a holy day. It's called the Sabbath. This is the day in which you recognize who God is, remember who God is, and rest from your work. Don't mess with my day. 
And then there is a fifth commandment. And this goes to, now we shift to horizontal relationships. And the fifth commandment is honor your mother and father. It's the very first one, and it has a promise with it. Here in chapter 5, verse 16, honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So in order for your society to flourish in the land, in order for the community to flourish in the land, one of the key ingredients will be children in the household learning to honor their mothers and father, to recognize a position of authority. And if children do not learn what it means to honor this position of authority in their life, then it will be to the detriment of community later on. A society that does not know how to honor positions of authority is doomed to, to destruction. And so the question would be, well, how do you actually honor your mother and father specifically when they're not honorable? Like, they're, they're flawed people. There are evil parents in the world. How do you honor them? Well, one of the keys is this. You're honoring a position that God has given. Honoring is to value and respect something. And so you're valuing parenting and you're respecting a position that God has given over you in your life. Now, the New Testament gives us clues of, of other ways in which we honor that will help enlighten how we do it with parents. 1 Timothy chapter 5 calls the followers of Jesus to honor elders at the church that serve faithfully. So the overseers of the church that are serving, that are ministering amongst you, in which you benefit from, it says they're worthy of double honor amongst you. So value and respect a ministerial position in which you are the benefit of. Now you're like, well, that's easy. I'm happy to honor someone who's respectable. That's one way. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he also goes on and he says, honor widows amongst you who are truly widows. I mean, there's no family support system. Now in the first century, if you're a widow, you are in a very vulnerable position. You're in a position of weakness and it'd be easy to look at you and say, what, what contribution do they have to the church? They don't have resources. They're not influential. Maybe they're elderly. And so why would we honor weakness? Because we'll honor the position. These were mothers among you. These are the ones who birthed the community. And so though they're in a position of weakness and vulnerability, we are to show them what? Value and respect. And so you can honor positions like elders who are serving and you're the beneficiary of. You can honor widows who have been mothers but find themselves in a position of weakness and vulnerability. And then he goes on, or sorry, then we go on to 1 Peter. And Peter tells us, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor, do you remember who it says? The emperor, the government. And you're like, well, hold on, time out, time out. The government is no good. Do you think Caesar was a really honorable person that did a lot of good, that caused a lot of flourishing? Like, no, he, in many ways, his character was detestable. He was an offense to the church at many places. But what is it called to do? You're honoring a position. And so this is a way in which we show value and respect for the ways in which God has set positions in our life, elders, mothers, governors, in which we can show value and respect to them. And one of those in which we learn to do this is in the family. 
The family becomes this microcosm, a formational community in which we are brought up in and learn how to live our lives. And so the reason that it might go well with you in the land is that children, all of us, need to learn how to live under authority structures. That if we don't learn how to do this, we will be miserable for our entire life. Do you know why? Because we will always live in some systems with authority. You're going to have a boss. You are going to have a coach. There are going to always be law enforcement officers. You're going to have an HOA. I mean, always positions of authority. And if you can't figure out how to work with authority, you will be miserable forever. And so there's kind of three things, I think, that help the community flourish, why we need to have all of us as children learn to honor and respect our parents. The first one is this that I just mentioned, that we learn to value those who come before us. In a self-centered world, it's easy to just continually think, how did the world even exist before me? Like, what was everybody doing before I got here? And the world revolves around me. And teaching children to value and respect parents immediately teaches them to value those who existed before them. To value those whose shoulders they stand on. Whose investments have created the world in which they enjoy. And so beginning to value those outside of themselves. It's dismantling the self-love to recognize those who came before. The second thing that learning to honor your parents produces is it teaches how to live under structures of authority, like we talked about. Everyone has to learn this. If you don't learn it in the home, you will be eternally frustrated until you learn it somewhere. And this is the way in which we, as parents, help our children do this. Now, here's how parents can, can, can really mess things up here. Is this is learned by catching it, by watching and observing your parents. And so if you really want your kids to learn to honor and respect you as parents, or honor and respect authorities like teachers in their lives, well, then you have to do it. There's no way your children learn how to do this if you're constantly undermining every authority in your life. And so parents, this is, take it to heart, that your kids are watching you. And so if, if, if they hear you, if they observe you, always saying things like, when you get pulled over, man, that dumb cop, I was only going five over, why wouldn't they release me? Man, I know he just was out to get me. What a waste, this ticket is such a joke. It's like, huh, this is what my mom and dad think about authority. They bring home schoolwork from the classroom. It's like, why'd your teacher give you so much schoolwork? Is your teacher an idiot? Don't they know what, that this is a break? Don't they know that the schedule that we have? Don't they know that you're only, you know, whatever? And you undermine authority. And you can think of so many ways in which this can just casually come off our lips. A gal that this morning in first service said, you know, I was convicted... As, we, as I thought about talking about the referees in all of my kids' sporting events and sporting that I watch. <laughs> Isn't that right? This is going to be modeled 
And so how are we, how are we living as people who honor and respect positions of authority that God has called us to live under? And it frees us from having to love and respect necessarily the person who occupies them. Because that person isn't always honorable. But the position is. The third thing that, it, this is the most important, the third thing that it helps kids understand is it models how to honor God as our Heavenly Father. Many adults struggle with honoring God because they never, had the, never learned how to honor their parents. Show me kids that honor parents, and I can see kids that are going to know how to honor God. The one who, what, came before them, the creator of them, the author of them, and the authority of all life. And so the one, one of the main reasons that this is a flourishing principle is because if you have adults that are living out of this, who recognize the value that comes before them, that teaches us to value and respect positions of authority, and then to know how to honor God, you're going to have a society that flourishes. You're going to have a community that flourishes. And this is learned in the home. And again, Jesus is our model. Now, there's so many ways we can look at Jesus and say, look how Jesus did this unto his heavenly father, how he followed his father's instructions, how he honored his father. I think those are great. But the ones that are really convicting to me are how Jesus in the flesh, being God himself, honored his own mother. So John chapter 2, we get the story of Jesus' first miracle. It happens at a wedding in Cana. And during the wedding ceremonies, apparently, in all the festivities, they ran out of wine. Remember this? And Jesus' mother came to him and said, Jesus, they ran out of wine. And Jesus' response was, what does that have to do with me? And she says, well, you know, you're like God. <laughs> do something. And he said, mother, my time's not yet. And so she just turns to the servants of the house and says, do whatever he asks. Do whatever he says. And he, I think, honors his mother's request, honors his mother's instructions, and provides wine for this company because he honored his mother. Now, that's impressive, but I think the most impressive one is actually at the end of his life. This is John chapter 19. He's on the cross. He's dying, and he sees his mother standing before him. This is chapter 19, starting in verse 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Here's Jesus dying as an adult child. And he honors his mother by transferring the care from himself to this disciple whom he loved. That's honoring. That's honoring to his mother. He's dying, and he puts the needs of his parent in front of his own. That someone's going to look after you, take care of you, provide for you, make sure you have what you need moving into older age. This is a question for adult children with aging parents. Have you still kept the practice of honoring mom and dad alive? 
till the end. Because one of the ways in which we do give a good example to our kids of how to honor our parents is by, how, by them watching how we do it to ours. And so if we're always belittling our parents, if we're always slying on our parents, then our children won't learn what it is to honor us. And so just a question for adult children in the room, that Jesus gives us the model till the end of how to show value and respect to those who raised us. Now, it turns from here to parents, because if you have obedient children who are honoring, that puts them in a, in a, in a very vulnerable position for authoritarian parents to abuse their children. And there's no place for that in the Christian community. And so here Paul then speaks directly to the father. And the reason he speaks to the father is because the father in the first century held the ultimate authority over his household. Like who lives, who dies, who serves him. And people occupied that position to their own benefit. Just like the Gentiles, they lorded the authority over others for their own benefit. But again, for those who follow the way of Jesus, we're learning a different way. And so he calls the father out and says, I know you have the cultural approval to do whatever you want. Why don't you surrender that and follow the way of Jesus in your parenting? And so he calls out the fathers who particularly need to hear what it looks like to lay down their positions of strength. Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, and you can say mothers, fathers and mothers, parents, do not exasperate your children. Do not discourage your children. Do not exhaust your children. Do not create environments that make them angry towards you and others. Now, how do you do that? Well, I think there's kind of two categories of how you exhaust your children and so dishearten them. There are abrasive ways that you can do that. Those are ways in which you're fundamentally abusive with words or with your hands. There are things that you can do that are abrasive in the sense of your harsh punishments. There are also abrasive ways of things that are like inconsistencies. It's like the kids don't know, what, know who you are when you come home from work. It's so inconsistent. Or inconsistencies in discipline. They don't know why you're punishing them for this thing and not for this thing, why you're correcting that behavior. When you let it go last week, there's no consistency in your life. And so you have in your inconsistent parenting, you have inconsistent, hesitant followers. You have, you have hesitant children, and it creates fear in them. And that fear produces anger. I don't know who my mom's going to be, who my dad's going to be. Am I going to get swatted for this or not? Then there's not only abrasive ways, but there's absent ways. Absent ways are the things that, man, I'm just craving for my parents to have told me or to help me with. Like I would have loved for my dad to tell me he loved me, my mom to tell me she was proud of me, but she always kept silent. And in their silence, I'm exacerbated. I am exhausted. I am so discouraged. And so it's a call what not to do. Don't exasperate your children. Don't lead them to being angry in your, in your parenting. This is a call to the gentleness of being parents. And then that, there's a positive. That's what you don't do. Here's what we are called to do. We're called to bring them up in the discipline. That's like coaching the instructions, the, the, the coaching the ways and the instructions 
of the Lord. Again, our parenting is for the Lord. It isn't just like our ways. It isn't just our opinions. It's what are the ways of the Lord that my children could grow up in? So let me ask you this. If, you, if you're a Christian parent, not a Christian parent, what are the things that you would want of your children? Or if you're, if you're just someone in community, say, well, I, I think that, that children should have this sort of character to them. Well, you might list things like honesty. You might say compassion, mercy, generosity, not harming one another, not being easily angered. Let me ask you this. Who's going to teach them that? The school counselor? A coach on a sports team? Google? Their tablet? Like, where do they learn these things? Like, you want them, I want them. Where do they learn them? The call here is parents. Parents, you are the primary instructor, teacher of your children. All those characteristics that you want your kids to have, this call is on your life to do it. Here at Calvary, we say parents are prime. Everything we do in Calvary Kids, everything we do in Calvary Students is to come alongside parents, is to resource parents, because you are the primary disciple maker of your children. And there are so many distractions in your life that can take you out of that realm and you're trying to fill that with so many other voices of like, well, they'll just do it or they'll figure it out. No, it's a call for us as dads and moms to be involved, engaged in our children's lives. We are the primary disciple makers of our lives. Now, how do you do that? Well, if you go back to Deuteronomy, now we're going to be in Deuteronomy 6. If you go back to Deuteronomy, just after the commandments were given, the instructions of how to do this. And it's actually not rocket science. It's not, a, it's not an after-school program you plug your kid into. Okay? It's not a summer camp they go to. It's a way of life that we live. So this is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So how do you do it? It is your lifestyle. You see that? In the home, that means around the dinner table. One of the primary indicators of family's health is how many meals do they have around the dinner table. It's the presence that's required around the home. Mom and dad can't just be absent from it. They have to be in it. Second one you see here is as, as you rise, you shall teach them diligently to your children as you talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Like when you go to bed and when you wake up in the morning, what does that require? Your presence. Are you there in the evening when they go to bed? Are you there in the morning when they rise? Like, I don't have time for that guy to get to work. I had to stay late at work. I had other commitments. I had softball tonight. I had, I had baseball. I had adult, you know, leagues that I'm in. No, it requires your presence. That's what it requires. And that you're talking about your days and the ways of the Lord. And this is what it's calling us to do, is not only teach what the Lord has said, but give to the children the moral reason why. Why do we do this? Why does this bring flourishing? 
Why is this healthy? It's the conversations around the dinner table, alongside the bed, in the mornings. And it says, as you, it says, talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. The modern translation of walk by the way is on the way to soccer practice, you know? On the way to baseball practice, on the way to piano practice, as you're driving them to another engagement, you're talking about these things. And then it says that you shall, you know, kind of mark out your life. Like there's a visual representation that this is the way of our family. And the onerous is on us as parents. Because we remember that it's, it's actually that God gave us children as a gift. It's a beautiful gift to have. This is Psalm 127. Psalm 127 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man or woman who fills their quiver with them. Children are arrows. They're not a sword. They're not like an instrument in your hand in which you just use and place wherever you want. They're arrows. And arrows are, are sharpened and they're aimed because they're going to be released. You're going to release your children. And so you are to disciple them, discipline them, and instruct them, sharpen them, so that they can be aimed and released into the world. We're releasing children into the world. And if we do this well, we're releasing flourishing into the world. Now, we live as a church in a unique context that we want to live out this mission here in Erie, Colorado. And back in 28, I believe it was 2018, Erie produced kind of this, this graphic, and they started placing it on places around the city. I saw this first and for, first I saw it on a, uh, a concrete barrier downtown. And it was just so fascinating that, the, that our city said the best place to raise a family, Erie, Colorado. And there's many things that our culture has no idea of how to raise a healthy family. But we have insights from the Lord of how to raise our families for the flourishment of society. And so I just meant, what if, what if we at Calvary got really serious about our marriages being healthy, about our parenting being healthy, so that, so that Erie really would be, it's the best place to raise a family. The healthiest families are there because we live here. Or about Frederick and Firestone, Louisville, Broomfield, the surrounding areas have healthy families because Calvary families live there. So this is a call for all of us as moms and dads to once again take up our calling on our life to raise our children in the ways of the Lord. And this is a calling on all of us as children to honor and respect our parents till the very end so that it might go well with us. This is the promise. That it might go well with us in our land here in Erie, Colorado. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have given us family as dysfunctional as it can be, as frustrating and flawed as we have experienced it to be, or we know still it's, it's a formational community and part of your plan. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would be the one speaking to each one of us this morning of how we are to live as parents, how we are to live as children with our focus on Christ. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would direct our steps now and that you would bring flourishment into our family units. 
We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.